Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, coming off of Ohio State's home opening win over Youngstown State, 35-7. to And it's Monday. I still don't have a name for you, so you got to keep checking in the next week to see if there's going to be a name. But we do have things to talk about. Nathan, let's start with the quarterbacks, as we did last week. I charted every single play of Devin Brown on the field on Saturday, whether it counted or not. And he played 36 snaps. He had a PFF grade of 54.5, I believe. No, 54.7. That's the second to last on Ohio State's offensive roster. The only guy who had a lower grade than him was Cade Stover with the 54. And I didn't think Cade Stover had a very good game either. We can maybe discuss that in the offensive part of this pod. And then Kyle McCord, second highest grade, 84.5 and 30 snaps. The only person who had higher than him was Matthew Jones. With a 92.1. And a lot of the offensive line actually graded well. John, Josh Simmons was the only one who didn't have at least an 80. And I'm saying all that because PFFs, by their grading standard, if you have a 70 or higher, that's starter level. So the fact that most of the offensive line was higher, was extremely higher than the bare minimum of starter level, I think it backs up what we saw in the game where the offensive line was fine other than Joshua Simmons in those penalties. But to get back to Devin Brown, we discussed this shortly on the post-game pod about the idea of they're not necessarily calling the same plays for Devin Brown that they're calling for Kyle McCord. And in re-watching it, I am even further down that line of thinking. And it's not just the fact that they're running QB-designed runs. It's some of the throws. I Of his 13 throws, I think all but maybe three of them were outside the numbers. And the three he had inside the numbers were a lot of them were to Emeka Ibuka and they were late. What when you rewatch Devin Brown, what were some of your immediate reactions to what you saw from his play, but also how they used him? Well, you know, and, and one thing that we forgot to bring up when we were discussing him after the game was that touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr. that was not a touchdown and that 
where there was mm-hmm. clear pass interference. I mean, we, we talked a lot the week before, at least I did, about how the McCord-Harrison numbers were a little wonky because of things that happened in that game, and mm-hmm. the numbers were actually better. And if so the, it's worth pointing out the same thing about Devin Brown, you know, add, because they end up scoring a touchdown on the drive. He just doesn't get credit for it as a passer, and doesn't mm-hmm. get those yards, doesn't get that completion. So that would have changed those numbers a little bit. Listen, I, I think it's probably true that they're not calling the same plays. Uh, this, I think, looking back on these two weeks, and I think we thought this at the end of the Indiana game, that it wasn't actually as even as Ryan Day had said it was. <laughs> and I think he probably calls plays um, based on his trust level in both of these guys right now. And it should be a as much a, a benefit for Devin Brown as a detriment if Ryan Day is calling different plays, because he's supposed to be somewhat of a different quarterback, right? He's supposed to be mm-hmm. able to do some things or do some things better than Comacord can do. And so capitalize on those chances when you get them. But I, this, I, I think I've moved past any concern over this process or this this idea that, that maybe uh, Devin Brown isn't getting plays called for him the same way simply because... I think there were things that have happened since last January that are in Ryan Day's mind as he's calling those plays on game day. And that's just that's just the way it is. And and again, put that touchdown on Devin Brown's day and this day looks different for him. It's it it does change, I think, the way because I think it was an easy thing to forget because of what happened after that play. I mean, mm-hmm. other things that unfolded, I think just sort of and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is having such a big day. Other, regardless of that play, so it didn't. It kind of just, you know, got got came out with a wash a little bit. So, you know, he had he had his opportunities there too. I think though, if if Ryan Day trusted him to throw the ball over the middle more, he would trust he would throw the ball over the middle more. Um, it's it's sometimes it's also hard to tell without an all twenty two exactly. Yeah whether there were some opportunities more over the middle that he passed up or if Youngstown state was just taking those away. I try and I, it's, yeah, it's hard. Cause you're watching the actual broadcast. I wish we had all 32. Come on, college football, be better at this. He had three, the first three series he played. Cause I'm not counting the last one. Cause it was just kind of like, let's get out of here. So the first three series he played where they were actually running offense, very wonky. His first series was 14 plays and that's when you build in the penalties, the DPI. I thought he should have had three touchdown passes. He had the DPI on the first series to Marvin Harrison Jr. And then he had the DPI again to Marvin Harrison Jr. And then he had the miss on Cardinal Tate before the fourth down play, which I think we'll get into that fourth down play as well in this podcast. But those are three opportunities. One's a missed throw. The other two are just why Youngstown State did the smart thing there and took the PI instead of giving up a touchdown. So he think he could have had three. But first series is 14 plays where a lot of different people are touching the ball. Xavier Johnson's getting end around jet sweeps and Travion Henderson's getting the ball. He's missing some throws over the middle. He's running. He had the scramble on fourth down on that play in that series, I believe. And then the second series is a little bit cleaner. It's only five plays, which is where Ohio State typically lives. Anywhere from five to seven plays seems like efficient offense for them because that means they're moving the ball down the field. And then the last series was 15 plays again. So there were – when Kyle McCord – now some of this is just second start of the year for Kyle McCord. He probably learned from some things the previous week. I understand that. But the ball moved up the field consistently 
for Kyle McCord. While with Devin Brown, and not all of it is his fault, some of it was on the offensive line or on DPI penalties and whatnot, but it was just kind of what you kind of heard. It was up, and then it was down, and it was up, and then it was down, and it was up, and it was it was all over the place in the way that I think that contributed as much to Ohio State's lack of possessions against Youngstown State as whatever Youngstown State was doing in the new play clock rules is the fact that you want to. I understand he said after the game that the idea of the defense not being able to get off the field on third down. Well, the offense having fifteen play drives and an offense that's supposed to be this explosive, that's not right. helping your case either. Right. No, I and I pointed it out in the, the obs that I wrote, the observations I wrote for Monday morning. And you know, this is an offense that averaged seven point two eight yards per play or something like that last mm-hmm. season and seven point nine something in twenty twenty one against all FBS opponents. And then they had an FCS opponent in their backyard and they averaged like eight yards a play, which is essentially the same. And it's like, no, you should be you should be throwing some thunder out there. You should really be like coming rain and fire on these guys a little bit. And I've, I've felt like the explosive element hasn't quite been there in these past first, these first two games. And I, yes, Marvin Harrison jr. Had two longish touchdown catches. One of them was just Mm -hmm. a completely botched coverage. Like they, the (laughs) cornerback stopped covering him thinking there was safety help. There was no safety help. Good Lord. Like, forget about it. Like (laughs) Marvin Harrison jr. Can walk in backwards. And then that second one was was a little bit more of a a you know having to get behind two guys and, and McCord having to get it to him and I give him a little bit more credit for that. But the, and then Abuka took that one sort of swing pass and blasted away with it. And I, mm-hmm. I just it, it just feels like an L in in general like it hasn't been as you know what I mean. Like we we talked about how coming into that game uh, we wanted Ohio State to make us feel sorry for Youngstown State a little bit, mm-hmm. and I, I never really got to that extent. And maybe give Youngstown State some credit for that, but not too much. That's still something that Ohio State like, and and players were saying it after the game. Denzel Burke intimated after the game that you've they that there was supposed to be more than this. It was supposed to look different than this. So I do I agree with you that you know Ryan Day can talk about the lack of plays, but I feel like the lack of production within the plays that they do have is part of it. And I was asking Kyle McCord and Devin Brown after the game. Um, I think I asked Devin. I know that I asked Kyle that when you're in these situations where there are fewer plays and it's such a topic of conversation and your head coach is basically obsessed with it at this point, Mm -hmm. like how do you then maximize and, 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 or, you know, be very, aware of how much you have to maximize every play without pressing, without getting in your own head, getting in your own way with this stuff. And it's clear that that's something that they are trying to figure out because McCord even admitted like, yeah, I don't think we realized how big of a difference this was going to make. I would argue that it actually did not make that much of a difference in the Indiana game. They played 67 mm-hmm. plays. I suppose you would say that if Indiana wasn't milking the clock, then them only having 54 plays should have actually meant that Ohio State had somewhere in like the 70s. I get it. And there's also been games in the past couple of years before these clock rules where Ohio State didn't have very many plays. I think the best example is the Minnesota game in 2021. I think they were in like the 40s for like the number of plays run mm-hmm. in that game. And they mm-hmm. still scored a bunch of points because they were explosive with it. The Maya Williams play, the Trevion Henderson play, some some downfield strikes. So I, that's I agree with you that I think there needs to be a little bit more of an explosive element. And also there were some other like, again, 
the pass interference play that should have been the touchdown. Instead, they have to run like whatever it was, four more plays, I think, to get in the end zone. So there you are. There's there, You're getting more plays that way, but it's taking up so much time that it takes away from a possession later. I think there's Ohio State, the, the, the rules are what they are. They aren't changing. They aren't just going to throw this out. So what is Ohio State going to do to adjust? I think they can play more up-tempo. I think they, and that again, comes back to trust. I think they'll have, he mm-hmm. has to trust Kyle McCord a smidge more to like really get into those tempo situations. He was talking about that this past week about the, the kind of delicate balance that there is with that sometimes. And then I think they've, they just have to be more keen about keeping, you know, feeding those playmakers when they did it on Saturday, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Emeka Buka, Trevian Henderson, they all had some big plays. I think it's it's about getting the ball in those players' hands as much as possible. Okay, so let's check our list off here. I think the fourth down play in the fourth and goal needs to be its own conversation. Setting that aside for a second, what is the best thing you saw Devin Brown do on Saturday, and what's the worst thing you saw him do? I mean, it might be the touchdown pass that he didn't get to have. I mean, I thought that ball was there. <laughs> He, he recognized Marvin Harrison Jr. and got him the ball. And if, you know, I guess it wasn't maybe the most egregious pass interference penalty, but I thought it was P.I. And, you know, that should have been his first collegiate touchdown. And I, I feel kind of bad for him that he doesn't get to have it. And, <laughs> and especially in this moment where he's still trying to fight for a job. So if it's not that, then it is the other fourth down play where he got flushed out of the pocket. And I can't remember if that's the one Andrew was talking about where he thought he left too early. He may have been talking about a, a different play. Um, the, the, it was right after there was a third down play where they blitzed the linebacker right into his face and he had to get rid of the ball and it was incomplete. And yeah. then on fourth down, they go for it and the pocket starts to, to shrink again. And mm-hmm. he decides to escape. He's running out to his right. And it's so reminiscent, really, of what happened with Kyle McCord in week one in Indiana. Instead of throwing into a crowd, though, G. Scott was mm. enough in front of his defenders that that Brown could make that throw on the run, get it to him. And then Scott had to then like push across the, the line to get the, 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 the yardage of gain to get the first down. And But that was, I thought, smart in terms of just, you know, being able to show what you can do on the run, your, your legs are working, your arm is working in tandem with your legs, your brain is working, like all three of those things, like your eyes, like all the, the pieces of the puzzle were working together for him. So really, in terms of like degree of difficulty, I guess that might be the best one. I think that play, especially when we have discussions like we had in the offseason about the offensive line and how the defensive line was kicking their butt, I think that is why he stayed in this conversation so long. Because when you pair, when you're having to run for your life the way these quarterbacks were, especially in the spring. Now it got better in the fall, but in the spring especially, I think he was doing a lot of that stuff, and it provided an element that maybe Kyle McCord. It's not that it's Devin Brown is so awesome at it, and Kyle McCord can't do it at all. It's just if Kyle McCord is a seven at it, Devin Brown's an eight and a half or a nine, and that's fine. I thought maybe he missed Marv over the top there, but I thought that. Maybe if he felt pressure and he had to get out of there, I thought he made the best of a situation. I had two others that I thought were, I think, his best throws of the day. The Carnell Tate 20-yard completion, on time, on target, efficient. What you want to see from Ohio State's quarterback, just get it out your hands into the playmakers, and Carnell Tate ran a good route. It's that, and then the wheel route. Listen, wheel routes are hard to complete. 
We talked about it last week when Kyle McCord did it. We got to talk about it when Devin Brown did it as well. Real route. Now, I think Kyle McCord was more difficult because Indiana's better than Youngstown State, so it was a little tighter coverage. But still, completing the real route is completing the real route. I, I, so kudos to Devin Brown. Those two plays exactly because one showed off everything Ryan Day wants in the quarterback, and the other one's just showing your arm talent. I thought some of his bad plays, and even the announcers pointed it out, there was one play where he throws to he, – he talked about this after the game, how he was just missing easy stuff, stuff that just has to be completed. He missed some out routes to Julian Fleming. He had a, he was missing, and he would be behind on Emeka Buka coming over the middle. He had one play where he missed Julian Fleming. Deep, I can't remember who he threw to, but he took the underneath thing, almost what Kyle McCord was doing last week and Devin Brown was doing it this week, where he threw underneath, it was an incompletion, and then the the broadcast, it shows Julian Fleming winning press man coverage, and he's like five yards open, and he's just throwing his hands up because he's like, why didn't I get the ball here? And it made me think of like, maybe this is a good question for the receivers, because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave dealt with this in 2021 when CJ was going through his getting comfortable out there. And now Emeka Julian and Marvin are dealing with it where they're the, they are coming off a year where they were playing with a veteran quarterback who had it figured out. So they could just go be talented. Even if there was their first time getting real reps in 2020, that's what Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson had with Justin Fields as they moved up into official starting roles and not just rotating in with other guys. And it was seamless while then in 21, when they're the veterans dealing with a young quarterback, it wasn't always going to look perfect. So they almost had to maybe reset their mind and allow that quarterback to figure it out, which also comes with, I'm five yards open down the field, dude, throw me the ball. Why are you missing me? Why are you throwing high? Why are you behind me? Because I saw the body language wasn't always great from the receivers, but I understand it. And then in tw- now we're in 2023, where a year last year, Julian Fleming, Marvin and Emma Mecca had to deal with veteran starting quarterback who had to figure it out. And I think Spencer Holbrook from Letterman Row asked this question to uh, Emeka Buka. The CJ throws, throws that are just so great with the ball placement where it was just easy. He made everything look easy because that's a veteran quarterback whose skill set also allowed that to happen. That's not true right now. And that's not saying it's not going to be true in five or six weeks with either Devin Brown or Kyle McCord. But now we're back in that window of, the receivers are veteran, but they're used to quarterback play that is a 12. And they're back dealing with a quarterback play what's like a six and a half right now that's building up to being a 12 again. And I wonder what that's like dealing with that where you got to deal with it's not going to be perfect. And to what Brian Hartline said in 21 when we talked in the spring where you have to make everything look easy you almost have to you know overcompensate for what the quarterback is in the moment I think that's where this grew up of wide receivers is right now and I'm wondering how long that plays out and if maybe we come back from the bye week and then you see it really kick in well that's why I said after the post game like to me the big question is how many reps are these guys getting who gets all the yeah. reps with the ones like give give somebody the stop splitting the ones like it's I was behind this process. I think Ryan Day was handling this in a prudent way. If he got to the mm-hmm. end of camp and he thought there was still doubt, uh, d- doubt's not the right word, but he thought there was not enough separation between the two to make a clear-cut decision and he wanted to see what happened in games, I, I think it made sense to go ahead and, and 
do it. You couldn't win the national championship these first two games by winning them by more. So do what you had to do here. But now I think you've reached a point where I think there is separation. And I think it's time to put the, the full offense in the hands of one guy at the very least for these next two weeks. And as mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's as much about practice as it is about the games to get to what you're talking about, which is, you know, CJ built towards being the guy who made those throws and had that rapport with his receivers by being the dominant number one quarterback from mid August of 2021 on. It was his job, except for the brief time where he had to step aside for the, the shoulder injury for the one week. Mm-hmm. It's, it was his gig. And he got to like, I think they always talk about, you know, stacking good reps on top of good reps and, and good days on top of good days. And you've got to give your number one quarterback the chance to do that now to, to have a good day as a number one quarterback and then come back and have a second good day as a number one quarterback. And that's how I think you could maybe start to see him take some jumps. And we're talking about Kyle McGord here. Like that's, that's the guy who's in front. Yeah. And I think it's the guy who should get that opportunity now. And I, I think that you're seeing enough. One thing I did notice from Devin Brown, I thought this was funny. Like There were some things, specific things, that we came out of the Indiana game saying about Kyle McCord that I thought he fixed a little bit and that then now Devin Brown was doing when we saw Devin Brown extended. I thought Devin Brown Mm -hmm. at times locked his eyes a little too much. We saw Kyle McCord do that a few times against Indiana. Mm -hmm. And then I thought you saw Kyle McCord start to – there was one really good read. They pointed out on the broadcast. Yeah, where he – we're like, I can, well, you're getting your notes. I can talk with Jake Butts literally pointing out the, you see his eyes, one, two, three, and then he goes back to his original lead and then makes a completion. Yes. yes. Kyle McCord was not doing that last week. Right. And that is a huge uh, step forward. Yeah. And it, it, I can't remember. Yeah. I think that was the play we're talking about. I can't remember who he threw it to, but yeah. yes. Like it was, it, you started to see, um, uh, you, you started to see something look him just look more comfortable and more poised and more together as the kind of quarterback that Ohio State will need. Not a complete project yet, by the way. I mean, by any means. Like, it's still a thing in progress, which, again, as I said after the game, is why I think you need to just give him the let him run with these reps and let him um, let him roll with this number one offense. And because I think that's going to give you the best chance to beat Notre Dame because they have a quarterback they trust in. They, who is getting all of their number one reps, and uh, he's a very, very veteran at this. And uh, he has a tougher challenge because I think Ohio State's defense is tougher than Notre Dame's defense. So Sam Hartman has a tougher job that day in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But Ohio State's got to have, got to maximize its offense to put as much pressure on him as possible. Okay, let's talk about the fourth and goal. I rewatched it maybe fifteen times because I'm trying to understand every little part of it. From why did he leave the pocket? what was supposed to be the read, and I, w- I really wish we had all 22 for this. So it starts off, Emeka's outside, Carnell's in the slot, and they motion Emeka into the slot, which, yeah, he's a slot receiver, so I understand why you did that. Ball snaps, Emeka goes right back outside, and while he it's basically like a bubble screen, but it's not really a bubble screen because Carnell Tate's basically just running a pick route before he goes off free, and I think that's where they wanted to go with that because Carnell's open in the back of the end zone. But Devin Brown doesn't see it because he feels pressure off of his backside. But I think it was phantom pressure. I've used this a lot with him 
Last year in the spring game in 2022, I thought that when we saw him out there in that spring 2022 spring game, he was seeing ghosts a lot and taking off a lot quicker than he needed to. And I thought he did it again on Saturday, but I thought he really did it there because he thinks that someone is on his back. He, and so scramble drill takes off. And But what he doesn't realize is Josh Simmons and Donovan Jackson have that defensive end locked up. He's not doing anything. It's a so he's fine there. So if he stays in the pocket and makes the read, I think it's a touchdown to Cardinal Tate. But instead, he heads out right, and I think it's G. Scott and Chip Trainum. And I don't, I can't remember who the third wide receiver was or if it was twelve personnel. But I do know G. Scott and Chip Trainum are there. G, Chip Trainum's one on one, but he's he's a running back man. You're not making that throw, and because we don't have all twenty two, I don't know where G. Scott is in the route. So at that point, but clearly he de- Devin Brown doesn't think he's open because he takes off and runs. And the seeing ghost part of it and taking off and leaving the pocket earlier than he needs to, that's one thing. That's a young quarterback who has spent his career living off of his legs. So you gotta that's gotta be developed out of him. Even Justin Fields maybe had that issue. He's just faster. He is six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds with a four 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 forty. So when he does it, that play is a touchdown run for Justin Fields. Devin Brown is not that. And somehow the narrative amongst the average fan base became that Devin Brown was this elite athlete. He's a better athlete than Kyle McCord, but he's not the type of athlete where he can fix every issue with his legs the way Justin Fields did. And so instead of that being a touchdown or even a gain of yards or getting back to the line of scrimmage, it's a two-yard sack. And then I think the funniest thing about all that is he's running off he stops at Ryan Day, who I don't know what Ryan Day is saying to him, but I'm pretty sure he's going, what did you see there? Because that's what he says. And then Devin Brown takes off, and then Ryan Day just kind of rolls his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, again, like it's – I think it's worth going in deep on, on Devin Brown like this because, I, again, I think it might be the last time we see him in yeah. this big of a role for a little while. Um, but I just thought that the, it, the way he handled that play and the way Common Cord handled – the same play, essentially, the week before, I think, is emblematic of why Kyle McCord gets to... It will be the the, the QB1 moving forward. And even though McCord threw a pick on the play, um, and, and McCord had the added disadvantage of a guy getting knocked down on his route, the guy who was the intended target getting knocked down. So then he has to improvise out of that and try to make something happen, and you, you force it into traffic and you throw a pick. And the worst thing you can do on that play is nothing. I think, because I don't think they're taking it all the way back from that. Like that happens so, so rarely. I don't think you can necessarily factor that in. You know, if you throw a pick and they house it from there, you know, 85 plus yards, what do you do? But I think you've got to take your shot at the end zone. You've got to at least try to thread it into somebody like McCord did the week before. And I think it's reflective that you know when we talked to Ryan Day after the Indiana game and he was asked about that interception I think he literally said the words I don't blame him for that or I don't hold that against like something like that because he you you you're thinking differently as a quarterback and I think there was just a difference there of like which one is probably at the stage of his career where he's seen enough he's repped enough he's done enough mental reps that he is ready for that moment and could act instinctively there. And Devin Brown didn't quite have those instincts yet. And I think that's okay. Devin Brown is a redshirt freshman who hasn't played as many snaps in, in real games as Kyle McCord has. So 
I, I, I don't think there's a problem here as far as like where Devin Brown is. I don't think there's a problem here as far as where Kyle McCord is. I do think they both have to get better to be the ultimately the quarterbacks Ohio State wants them to be. And I think obviously there's more urgency from McCord. And that's, again, why I think it's time to just let him be the dude and let him try to have stack as many good days as he can in the next two weeks. Sorry to be a broken record. I just think that that's where it, I, I, that was what has to happen. If if we find out that they're still splitting number one reps in practice this week, I think that's going to maybe be a mistake. And it's 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 because it's a twofold thing, which we've talked about. It's a making sure that Kyle McCord has as many reps and as much chemistry with the ones as possible, but also building a game plan because you purposely ran the ball with. That all I think all but one of his rushes were purposeful, and a lot of them were like powers and draws. He had the I think the the fake toss that he ended up keeping as well. So it was a lot like that was designed runs. Kyle McCord had one run, and it's because he had to scramble and he got one yard on that situation. So it's it's as much about getting your quarterback comfortable as it is getting your play caller comfortable with one guy and getting on one accord with them. Now, I did think the announcers did a good job of pointing out, and it's not something that, again, as you're watching the game, I don't I don't recognize it in this detail in real time sometimes. But the the one where he, it's a handoff to Trevion, I guess it was. Was it on one of the touchdown runs? The, the, the second touchdown run he had? Possibly. Where then, and then Brown fakes going, carrying it the other way. It takes yeah. all the linebackers with him. And so then when, when Henderson gets into the second level, now there's nobody. And now he's got a long way to go, and he's only got a safety to beat. and that's where you see, you know, maybe the, another team doesn't respect McCord quite the same way if they called that same play for McCord. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they they do respect it on Brown, and that's where it's supposed to pay off. So, again, I, I, the playmaking is there in him. I think it will eventually come out in as a college football player. But Ohio State has reached a juncture where it just has to has to just get behind one guy and focus on one guy because you're 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 rapidly leaving the play around the, the, the play around juncture of the season. You know, you don't mm-hmm. like I said before, you could have beaten if you'd beaten Indiana by 21 more points, and if you'd beaten Youngstown State by 21 more points, you would still be two and zero, and maybe you wouldn't be slipping in the AP poll like they are, but that doesn't matter at all. And you would still not be any closer to actually winning the national championship. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it's all about what you're doing in these games that are coming up. That's going to decide your season, the games you could actually lose. I don't know that they could actually lose to Western Kentucky because I just don't think Western Kentucky defensively is going to be able to slow Ohio state enough. But I think Western Kentucky could put up some points. So it's going to, that, that urgency is going to be there for Ohio state to, to maximize more of these and then we all know that Notre Dame has a legitimate quarterback and it's going to be on the road. And I think that game is very unpredictable right now. If Ohio State doesn't elevate its level of play in, in a couple of areas and quarterback is still one of them. So that'll close out quarterback talk. I, I, Kyle McCord was good. He, he took a step forward. I don't, this was about Devin Brown. We, we learned about Kyle McCord. And the only question we wanted to know is, can you get better from week one? And the answer to that was yes. Let me ask you this. I was thinking about this last night. I think I'm going to ask Ryan Day. It's going to be my first question to him on Tuesday. If especially, especially if he actually declares anything as far as getting fully behind Kyle. Mm-hmm. A lot of talk in the spring when this was going on, where he was talking about how you know in, in, what, what you're looking for in your starting quarterback, and he said you're looking for the special traits. Do we know Kamakord's special trait right now? 
<laughs> Does he no. know Comacord special trait? And is that is that the kernel of why this has lingered? Mm. That it's not that Comacord is not good. And it's not that Comacord isn't going to go out and, but he's been waiting as long as possible for one of these guys to like the light bulb to go off above his head or their head or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, like, can we, can we articulate Comacord's special trait at this point? Cause I don't know that I can, but I don't know that I'm criticizing him in some way. I think that is still just the ceiling that you crack through to become a Ryan day quarterback. You know what I mean? I think it's because the last two quarterbacks, you could see their special from a coaching perspective. You could see their special trait from a bird's eye view, right? Like you could see. Well, I mean, Justin Fields is Justin Fields. What, what yes. we couldn't, we could not see CJ Strouds because it's his brain. But Ryan Day has seen hundreds of reps from CJ Stroud. He's had hundreds of conversations with CJ Stroud about what did CJ see want to play. So he knew it was his brain. He knew that because you go 7-on-7, seven seven, you go 11-on-11, 11 11, you do scrimmages, and you see it. We just didn't see it. But I think Kyle McCords, if he hasn't seen it by now, and maybe he has. So we're just – this is some of this is just trying to figure it out. I don't know. We might not find it out to the Notre Dame game because maybe he's a gamer, right? Because what's the biggest gripe well, people had against C.J. Stroud before the Georgia game? What happens in the big games when it's time for him to be a dude and be a gamer is that – Hmm. Whether you agree with it or not, there is a function. There is a portion of this fan base who doesn't feel like C.J. Stroud showed up in the big moments. So that's a special trait, just showing up in that moment. So going into Notre Dame and going into a third quarter where the game is still close, whether you're up or down, and then just being a dude—that's special. I think that's a fair thing to speculate about, and because the one thing I'll say about McCord. Like even when he is on the, even in games where maybe we thought he was kind of just okay, he doesn't look frazzled. He doesn't look, no. um, the moment doesn't look too big for him. I'm thinking even back to Akron in 2021, where yeah. it's, it's now he didn't look, he definitely looked like he had some nerves, like a true freshman starting a football game in Ohio stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of pressure on him at that moment, not just the pressure of winning that game, which they were going to do, but the pressure of there was still an opportunity there. So AJ Stroud wasn't looking that great. Can you still, can you perform so well that now you're in that? Like we talked about that at the time and eventually like not too far into the game. I thought he settled down. He looked like he was capable of, of the moment. And I think there might be something to that, that maybe the thing that separates him from and when you say special trait, it's almost like well, you're lining up ten guys who all have essentially the same arm strength and the same athletic ability, and yeah. you're all in the same. It, you're it's it's a it's a tight pool of guys who can all more or less do the same thing. Is the thing that sets him apart is in that situation where nine guys panic or nine guys lose their head a little bit, he figures it out. He keeps it together. I, we're speculating. We don't know it yet. But we're probably going to find out pretty soon. Uh, my 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 pick of them to lose to Wisconsin does not look great right now. <laughs> the, yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin losing to Washington st- State. Well, Washington State's not a terrible team by any stretch, but I'm 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 less thinking that Ohio State might lose that game at this point. I but the Notre Dame game though keeps like increasing in terms of threat level for me, just because it's going to be an environment unlike going on the road to Indiana, and it's going to be a team 
that unlike Indiana and unlike certainly Youngstown State, they're not just going to plod around and sit on the ball and try to shorten the game. They're going to let Sam Hartman take some shots. So is your defense ready for that? And is your offense ready to try to keep up? I think it might be his special trait. I think he might just be cold hearted. It's something that people say about him that people, you you ask people around him, you ask, like, I remember talking to his parents and I mean, for a story I did back in the spring and, you know, I was asking them at the time, like, Hey, like when Quinn Ewers came here, like, weren't you guys, wasn't he freaked out? Weren't you guys freaked out? And like, you know, he's going through this and, and they were all like, no, like we were freaked out, but like he would just, you'd call him and he'd be like, it's all right. I got it. Yeah. I remember. I'm better, I, I, I'm better than him. I can. I can win that job. Like it. It, talk- it was never. It, it wasn't like an arrogant thing. I think it's just. He, no. And it's not because he's passive. It's just sort of a. It, it. I think that might be it. If we find out it, that may be eventually what wins out here. That we find out that just in these super tense moments, and especially it's going to be. It would be if it is his special trait. It'll be especially mm-hmm. valuable. Right now, with an offensive line that's still a little, you know, maybe some yeah. steps forward, but some things to figure out. You, you know, uh, you could like it, it. It might hit you, and and they're going to go into some, some. You know, Penn State looks really, really good. Like some massive, massive games are still coming up on this schedule before you ever talk about going to Ann Arbor. So we're going to get opportunities to find out if that's if that's true. If it's just like being the calmest guy on the field at all times has value to how this offense produces. I had numerous conversations with him when he was in high school and it's just nothing, nothing fate. It was, I, I've called it professional at times, but that's an interview set. He, nothing faced him. And it's good. It's interesting given what the room was last year where, I mean, we saw CJ, he wore his heart on his sleeve all the time. And Devin Brown is maybe a little bit closer to that and wearing his heart on his sleeve because you mean talking to him after the game on Saturday, he, you could hear his frustration and you could see it on his face. While with Kyle McCord, whether it was the Indiana game, we didn't get to talk to him after the Akron game, but either, whether it was the Indiana game or this past weekend, it was like here, always here, always on ground zero, never up, never down. The Ryan Day likes to use the term, you can't ride the roller coaster. I think Kyle McCord probably does that the best of the quarterbacks we've seen. Maybe Justin Fields was like that too, but we never, just because of how COVID worked out, we never got to really be around Justin that much. But also he was a more recluse guy, but I, I think that's what it is. I think he is, I don't think he gets worried or bothered by anything. And that matters when your first big game is on the road in Notre Dame. And that's going to matter if Ohio State and Michigan are both 11 and 0 heading into Ann Arbor, because that is not, that's going to be the most hostile environment that any of these quarterbacks could be put into. And if he's just always same level, nothing bothers him. If he gets to the Heisman Trophy level or he starts showing the traits of being what we've seen the other quarterbacks be. That's a good thing for Ohio State to go into that game with. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk some offensive stuff, a.k.a. we're going to talk about the offensive line because everything else looked fine. Maybe some other stuff, but we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Back here on Buckeye Talk, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. We fire up a lot of texts. Two-week free trial. And this will get you through the Notre Dame game. So this is a perfect little window, man. If you want to get the last two games before they head to a bye week, this is where you sign up right here 
you're listening to this on Monday. That's two week free trial, three ninety nine after that. But I promise you, you won't want to cancel. You can you can cancel. It's very easy, but you won't want to. Two week free trial, six one four three five zero three three one five. Nathan, I don't know how to think about Josh Simmons right now. His pass pro, it's not awesome, but it's very, very good. And then the run blocking stuff, the more I watched it, just looked correctable. I don't, I don't want to say I was panicking after the game, but I was a little bit more on alert for, hmm, I don't know if that's fixable. I think a lot of his problems were fixable, and they're like just more coaching technique issues. So it's interesting. I was tracking the runs based on which offensive line gap they were running through. So, you know, like mm. one, three, five, seven is to the left. So like one's left to the center all the way to seven where you'd be running like an end around and then two, four, six, eight to the right. And they ran more to the left than the right by my count. I, I was actually watching kind of a through three quarters. I only tracked it through three quarters. Mm. So it, 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 number one, it reminded me that they're playing Youngstown state and that they probably, they might call plays and do things in such a way that are, to work on things as much as they are anything else. So they're running to his mm-hmm. side a lot. And I think it's because um, you're right. The pass pro has not been an issue at all in these two games. The one sack that they've taken was Devin Brown taking that sack on fourth down um, mm-hmm. in, in the red zone. That's the one that they've taken. And that was a quarterback sack. That was not a, in, in a, a sack on the offensive line. They haven't even really been rushed that many times. Is that play I was talking about before where the linebacker came almost untouched on that blitz and forced Devin Brown to throw an incompletion. I know on the broadcast they were trying to say, well, Donovan Jackson didn't react in time, but Donovan Jackson was engaged with a block. So I, I'm not enough of an offensive line tactician to tell you that he was supposed to dump one guy he was blocking to pick up another guy. Probably was, um, but that's like one of the few examples you can really find of where somebody was was cracking through and causing big problems in the pass rush. So I think by and large, the pass rush has been good enough. And as this game went on, the offensive line play did get better. That's two weeks in a row, I think, where you would say that. I think it was just Mm -hmm. jarring at the start of this game to look and see penalty, penalty, penalty taking a touchdown off the board, like three big offensive line penalties totaling 45 yards or whatever it was, 35 yards and three penalties, one of them taking a touchdown off the board. Like, it's not a catastrophe against Youngtown State. It might very well be a catastrophe in the next game they play because in that first series, the holding penalty got negated when they're still able to throw a touchdown pass because the coverage gets blown. And mm-hmm. the second the second penalty helped kill that drive. They went three and out, I think, on the second series and had to punt. Yeah, And then the third series... um, the third series, which actually is another thing I wanted to remember. I think I had remarked about how, you know, they punted on like three of six, three of common Court's six drives, but that's an example where they punted, but I don't know. That's really his fault because he, that holding penalty really handcuffed him. And then it was a good PBU, I think by a, by a linebacker on a Mecca Buka of all people to, to end that drive. And then the, the third penalty, they did end up overcoming that one too. But as Andrew pointed out, I think he might have taken that guy's helmet off again on the touchdown run. He did. (laughs) It wasn't as egregious, but it was like almost exactly the same thing that he got flagged for. But it did settle down. I guess I found myself in both in terms of the offensive line and the defense, which we'll talk about in in a minute. I didn't think it was in totality as bad as it felt in the game, but I thought the start on both Mm -hmm. the offensive line and the defense 
were maybe worse than I had remembered because you start stacking up those egregious things. Like those are just absolute killers against better teams. And you would think that they're even more likely to happen against better teams. So maybe this is just a thing where, you know, as we were talking before, that coaching cliche about stacking good days, if, if they can have the right kind of practice one week and come in and get a better start to a game, there's probably right now they feel the pressure, they feel the fact that the criticism is on them. I feel like the offensive line right now, they're kind of in a good place that there's so much attention on the quarterbacks is there'd be even more scrutiny on them. Because remember last mm-hmm. year, everything everything was great last year. You had the quarterback. You had the offensive line. All these receivers. My God. Let's look at this running back. The running backs, this, this, back, this running back room is getting deeper. How about this defense? Look, Jim Knowles is here. This defense is coming along, right? Oh, wait, the cornerbacks can't guard anybody. Yeah. And so now everything became about the cornerbacks. Cornerbacks aren't getting it done. Cornerbacks are hurt. Cornerbacks are, are playing poorly. Like it just became this daily thing. And right now the offensive line is kind of trending in that direction. Not that there weren't other things that people came out of this game concerned about, but as far as like the, the, the one that makes you wonder like, boy, if they don't get this fixed, is the whole thing going to come undone? And I'm sure that they hear that and feel that. But the problem is there's no way around that. You got to go through it. You've got to go up against Western Kentucky and push them around better than you did Youngstown State. And you've got to go play a real team on the road in Notre Dame and see if you really are this good. That's and that's that's the only way through this. But I I did think that what I tracked over the pat over the final three quarters things did get better. Except man, there's still some short yardage things that don't make a lot of sense. Third and two, man. Third and two. If 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 Ohio State's offense has one kryptonite, it's third and two, and I don't understand why. I think you made a solid point there. What's Ohio State's actual problem? Because the quarterback situation is not a problem right now it's just the most popping thing on the team and when you have a new guy back there it's where everybody's energy goes towards i thought i saw progress i just think what what made the turnover with the penalties worse was yes they started the games off with them but also they were loud because they were taking points off the board it's the travion henderson run where then they probably should have got called for the second one but also chip Tranum had a holding call that took a mayan williams touchdown off the board as well so it's a whole different it's one thing when it's like, oh, you got six yards on the play, and now you got to come back because somebody had a holding penalty. It's a whole other thing when you're taking explosive plays and you're taking points off the board because you're getting holding penalties, whether you're talking offensive line or just anybody else. I have one more thing I want to bring up to you because I don't know if I'm crazy or not. Does Ohio State have too many weapons? No. Okay. You can't have too many weapons. You can choose to use too many weapons. I think they're trying to get too many people involved. And, and I think and, it's and, fine for the I think it's fine for the running back room right now because those guys have injury histories. So if you can get Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams to week eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve by only giving them five carries against Youngstown State and only giving them seven carries against Indiana, then fine. I'm whatever. It's more they force fed Marvin and Emeka early, which I get because they had to get them back on track. But I think right now they're trying to juggle Marvin, Ameka, Julian Fleming. They're trying to give Carnell Tate meaningful snaps and get him the ball because he deserves it. They're trying to have this package for Xavier Johnson, which is the most predictable thing in the world because if he's on the field, he gets the ball. So it's like you're not really throwing anything crazy. I think I texted this to our texter, sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. I think you should just give those touches to Ameka Buka because you he does all the same stuff and he's better. 
and you don't have to just use him in that role, so it's not as predictable. But the list is getting long, and people they're trying to feed. That became a problem in 2015, and I'm not saying it's a problem right now, but I do see a world where it could potentially be a problem if they feel like, because Ryan Day even said it, we've got so many people who need to get touches. Do you? Do you have that many people who need to get touches every Saturday? You do against Youngstown State. You don't against Notre Dame. It doesn't matter who gets the ball. Again. I mean, you give the ball to who scores touch. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so mm-hmm. I, I think this is one of the things that I'm reserving judgment on a little bit because okay. I think the way that you use guys in games like this and the way you spread it around is not indicative of how you run your offense in when, when the lights are on, when, when it's a real deal game. And I think that I agree with you about, I think Xavier Johnson's a very good football player, but he's not the priority football player in this offense. Right. Like there are, where would you put him in terms of priorities of getting the ball in his hands in this offense? Like certainly no higher than fourth among the receivers. And like, do we think he does something more with the ball in his hands than Carnell Tate does? And then now start throwing in Stover, start throwing in Henderson, start throwing in, you know, the list gets long. And so I think that get, get him a lot of, touches in games like this. I mean, I know that he had big moments last year in the Notre Dame game. He had big moments in the playoff game, but why did he have Mm -hmm. those moments? Because they were playing other guys instead. And then they got hurt. He started Mm -hmm. playing Julian Fleming against Notre Dame. He came in and played more because Marvin Harrison was out in the playoff game. So that, that that's, what's going to happen in the big games too. I don't, it's not like they're going to sit Emeka Abuka or Julian Fleming down to get Xavier Johnson on the field more. I don't think. Yeah, that's the thing. It's take. It's a. I. I think you put. I don't think, but But then I get it. Jumpstown State. It's. It's something to watch over the next. Because I think, especially this. I understand it's Western Kentucky, and you should still win the game. But you're trying to get your quarterback ready for the next week. So I think they should do as much as they can. That's going to matter in the next week against Western Kentucky with this offense. So if I'm seeing a five-man wide receiver rotation where you're taking Marvin or Emeka or Julian off the field to get the ball to Xavier Johnson, I'm going to be like, huh, if your running back's highest total is five or six, I'm going to be like, huh, you have a lot of talent. And I agree with you. There's no such thing as too much talent. There is such thing as trying to feed too many people and have too many people at the dinner table. And I thought against Youngstown State, you were allowed to do that and get away with it. I am just trying to make sure that that's not a bigger issue, especially in a world where you're not guaranteed to get 75 plays anymore. You're probably going to be around. But you know what I mean? Like You you can't even game plan for an idea of 75 plays, which is what most teams game plan for. You have to game plan more for 60, 65 plays. I want to make sure that you're not wasting plays on – Guys who don't actually need to have the ball because you have guys like Marvin, Emeka, Julian, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Cade Stover. That's where the food goes first. And then you start thinking about getting Carnell taken a year from now. And Brandon Ennis and all those guys, they've got at least two more years to get food. The people I named, that's where the food should be going to first in meaningful snaps. And I want to make sure that we're not going down a road where you're trying to throw a whole bunch of other people into that conversation. Yeah, I, I think this is where Ryan Day's ruthlessness has to come in a little bit. I mean, I, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that when he answered that question on Saturday, it was in the context of against Youngtown State in a 35-7 to game, we need to get the ball yeah. to more people. 
I think that is a perfectly fair thing to say. Yeah, fair. Um, but when it comes to Notre Dame, if you want the ball, then show me in practice I'm supposed to give you the ball. Don't wait for me mm-hmm. to have charity and give you the ball on Saturday. Like on yeah. Saturday, the ball is going to like four people, and that's just that's just how it is. And that doesn't say you're going to have some packages and you're going to have some some wrinkles that you can throw at people. You know, Cade Stover, as we mentioned last year, it wasn't that he was like streaking up and down the field and making unbelievable catches to get his catches. A lot of times it was because the off he he could find his place within you know a zone or find a place within a defense to get mm-hmm. open when attention was focused elsewhere. But there's a reason again why he's on the field there and and somebody else isn't. So I I, I worry that when we have conversations like this that it sounds like I'm trying to dig on someone like Xavier Johnson, which I'm not. I think he's a huge asset to this team in his role. Mm-hmm. I just want that to be his role. I don't want it to be if 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 Ohio State is trying to win a national championship in those games in those those crucial games it, it's got to go through the best people first and then yes. that's what's great about xavier johnson is when those guys who are your highest percentage yes blowout players can't play look how capable of a guy you have to come in right behind that look at the mm-hmm. plays he's made but there's a reason why they keep starting the other guys yes i just wanted to say that and get that off my chest last thing i want to say about the offense actually no let's just go through our list here Best thing you saw from the offense, worst thing you saw from the offense. I think the best thing I've seen from the offense the last two weeks, underrated thing, I'm going to call it the best because Marvin Harrison Jr. had 160 yards, so he can't be the best. Most underrated thing, I'm going to use that for my best. G. Scott has been a very good blocker for two weeks in a row now, and I think he's been the best blocker in the room. I think that the experiment of moving him from wide receiver to tight end for what his role is as a guy who can play both, but he's been more like the inline guy, it's worked. I would consider it a success for what it is so far. So kudos to that guy. I think the worst thing I saw, we just kind of touched on the offensive line and the penalties. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the, the worst thing has to be the offensive line penalties yes. early on. Like, that's just, I mean, those were just such, it comes out in the wash sort of against Youngtown State. You end up scoring touchdowns on two of those three drives anyway, even the one that took the drive, the touchdown off the field, but that, that, that wasn't good. I'm going to say um, best thing, such a small sample size. I'm always skeptical of small sample sizes against lesser teams. But Ryan Day was genuinely excited at first glance of some of the things Trevor Henderson did. And mm-hmm. we're almost trending into a place where I don't know how much, because they're trying to repair some of the relationship and the way it yeah. had some issues last year, how much they are trying to say a lot about him for, for that sake. But Comic Cord doesn't have any incentive to do that. Comic Cord wasn't yep. involved in any of that. And Comic Cord was super excited about Trevin Henderson, too, about things he saw in preseason camp, about the way that that was getting applied in this game. And you saw some burst from Henderson. And I know that there's a lot of frustration in the fan base, and there was even coming out of the Indiana game, about, like, why are they still trying this experiment? He clearly just dances too much. They've got other running backs who will just go hit the hole hard. Give them the ball. And I, I get where those people are coming from, frankly. And if he's healthy, this is the way he should run. It should be the mm-hmm. downhill style. And I as I was tracking those, I actually kind of was thinking to myself, like, I think they would have more success than they give themselves credit for just running Trevin Henderson between the tackles and not trying to get too wide with it. And because I think if you if you scheme that right and you can get him into the second level and he only has to make one dude miss 
and now you can like streak something off. Like I think those are there's some potential big hits waiting in this offense. So that's I'm going to put that down as maybe the the most promising thing I saw if it can translate now to teams that are of Ohio State's caliber. But I'm I, I'm I'm saying it's the best thing with some of my just innate skepticism <laughs> for small sample sizes against lesser opponents. I, I think I brought that up last week. I think it might have been my game time decision. I just wanted to see them hit the holes. It's not because they're better, so they're going to be explosive. I just want to see people hit holes that are going to be there. The first touchdown, when it got called back, he put his foot in the ground because you saw it first. He was thinking about bouncing outside, and then he saw the hole, put his foot in the ground, and went upfield. And then it got called back, so it's not on him. But then when it came, an opportunity came again, he put his foot in the ground and he headed upfield and he got a touchdown. And they called it a fumble, which it wasn't. I think the only weird thing he did was, and we were talking about this up in the press box, when he hurdled the guy, when it's like, he probably just could have made a cut and got more yards than trying yeah, to hurdle that the guy. was. I'm sure that will get brought up in yeah. film this week. <laughs> if yeah. I were to imagine, like, I don't, I don't, was that the, the optimal play on that? Like, because it's one thing if you're hurdling somebody and you've got space in front of you, but he was basically hurdling yeah. a guy and then was at the sideline. So yeah. it was, it was impressive. It showed his burst, his athleticism. You know, it's a good thing to put in your back pocket, I guess. A little thing for the resume, a little thing for the highlight reel. But I think you're right. I think if he had just been, if he had been a little bit more surgical about it and just cut it inside, and make somebody make an arm tackle on you so you're not getting mm-hmm. the extra 5-10 yards, I, I think it would have been a more productive play. But that's easy for me to say as the guy who doesn't have to run the ball and cannot jump over another human being. Unless so maybe I can actually, you know what? That's not true. I can jump over a human being in my house because he's only like that's not, two feet tall. No, that's not true. That's that just doesn't <laughs> I do, count. I just, that doesn't count. I just I just run I just jump over him back and forth. I, it makes me feel like a it makes me feel like uh makes really like like John Robinson, Trevion Henderson, big time running back. Just jumping over Bennett all day. <laughs> I love how we found a way to compliment Trevion Henderson while also saying what we didn't like about his day, and then this turned into you talking about Bennett. That's what we do here on Buckeye Talk. We're gonna take another break here, and when we come back, we're gonna shift our focus to the defense where we're going to have a conversation, but I do think once again, we're going to have to put some of this stuff on hold because Western Kentucky might tell us a little bit more. So we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. I said this to open up the the, the postgame pod. I just think it's hilarious. Youngstown State scored more points on Ohio State than Indiana did. Tom Allen, come on, man. You got to you gotta be better than that. Man. You just got to be better than that. Nathan, Denzel Burke got a pick. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good pick. I thought everything about it. The technique was flawless. He turned and looked for the ball, and he got the pick. But then when he was talking with media after the game, he was not very happy with how they played. He used the term, we should have mugged these dudes. And I think he's right. I don't think this was a good day for the defense. I thought it was. No. I thought it was a good day if they were playing a good team, and this was the performance they put up. But it was not a good day. Because I, I alluded before that I thought I felt better about the defense than when I left the stadium, and that's, I think, true, but I still wouldn't call it a good day. And it was yeah. a day, like, so another thing I was tracking was missed tackles, because I saw them early on, and they were really popping out to me on the first few drives of this game. And it's not, it's not just missed tackles. It's not blown tackles in the second level, because mm-hmm. that, that really jumps out at you, and we would have noticed that more, I think, during the game. It was how many times... They had a guy lined up in the backfield or sometimes even had hands on a guy in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage and they didn't wrap yeah. it. They didn't finish off that tackle. It happened um, on Youngstown States, uh, happened twice 
two tackles for loss that were missed on the first drive of the game for Youngstown State. One by Sawyer, one by Ransom, I think. There was another, I think, on the second drive of the game. There was another on the third drive. Like it was, there were several. If that settled down over the course of the game, too, some of the success that Youngstown State had early, you know, that touchdown drive was propped up by two things. It was, you know, those two tackles that I just missed that I mentioned that if they make those tackles, one was on second and four, but they converted the first down. One was on second and three that actually ended up going for no yards, but could have been could have been worse, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And they end up converting on the third and three. And that was two. That was on the big play to Cam Martinez which also looked worse when we looked at it again. So I thought it was just, I don't know if it was a a thing where it's lackluster, you're coming out, you know that you're uh, 10 times more talented than this other team you're playing, and did that factor into it at all? But it just, after, I don't think the the defense was lackluster at all against Indiana. I know people are are worried about a lack of of sacks or whatever. I would very much calm down on that, and we can talk about why. But the the defense was I thought really good against Indiana. The defense I thought made a statement against Indiana and came out really hard. And this game I just felt like it was it was just kind of flabby. I just felt like it was sloppy early on. And I think they did eventually tighten up. Den, Den, Desmond or Denzel Burke's interception being one indication mm-hmm. of that. But it was fine. And they did they gave up the one touchdown, which again was was the, it was the sloppiest drive of the game for this defense in in multiple facets. I thought. And then the rest of the game I thought it was tight enough it just wasn't you're not seeing that that thunder that I keep using that term like you don't you're not feeling it it isn't feeling you felt it a little bit early against Indiana the Josh Proctor play some other plays that came in that game there was the one play in this game by Sonny Styles that we talked about you know it, like you you felt you're feeling little pieces of it here but it's not like that sustained rolling thunder that I think they need to apply to someone and it's not going to get any easier. Like Western Kentucky really throws the ball around. They get it out fast. They're not going to give you a lot of chances to get to their quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got to be they got to be on their P's and Q's in the secondary next week. My problem isn't sacks yet. It's the get off the ball is not there. JT Chuyamaloa made a big deal uh, during the offseason about his get off is better. I haven't seen it. And that's not just in pass pro situa- passing situations. It's in run situations as well. Jack Sawyer, man, they really messed with his development because he is exactly what I thought he would be. I think he's a really good pass rusher. I think his run-stopping ability is not there. He does not always keep contained. He does not always set the edge. There were times when they would run stunts, but he didn't get all the way inside on his stunt, so it wouldn't allow the defensive tackle to get all the way outside on their stunt, and so the edge wouldn't be set. And so... Youngstown State was able to get to the edge on run plays in a way that, I'm going to be frank with you, unless you are a like-minded talent, you should not be able to get to the edge in Ohio State. That's just, that's a no-no for me because you just don't have the speed to keep up. You should not be getting to the well, edge. I remember watching those that 2019 defense and even into 2020, even though it had problems in the secondary, we would just laugh at teams that tried to get to the outside against Ohio State. Yeah. And that was something that going back for years, you would say the talent that they had was it was just a mistake to think you could get to the edge and get and beat them around the the outside. And now all of a sudden that has deteriorated a little bit. And how do you get that back? I think part of it is your cornerback play has to be good, too, because in 2019, guys like Sean Wade 
helped that be a thing. So now you've got Sonny Styles. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's it's one of those things where I think it could end up even being a strength of this team. And I'm I I don't know how much of of Saturday was. It's not an excuse because you have to get up for every game. I just it just didn't feel like this defense was up for this game. Mike Hall is the only one on a defensive line who like brings the energy, man. You know, he's every play, whether he makes the play or not, he's yelling and throwing his head back and doing all this extra stuff. I just, he's, I mean, he had the sack that was pretty cool where he's literally being held in one arm and the other arm, he's grabbing the quarterback. Good for him. Yeah. My call is something else, man. But it's just, we're, we're the energy on the side of the bus. Yeah, yeah, of course. There you go. You got a logo finally. I'm happy for you. But it's just the energy wasn't there from the defensive line. And maybe you're right. Maybe that is the opponent, that it's kind of hard to get up for a middle-of-the-road FCS opponent. So let's see what happens this week when it's a team where we know that they're going to try to throw it. So I'm quite positive that the people in that building know it, so they see opportunity. And then the Notre Dame game, you better bring the energy. You're not going to win that game. But we're yeah, two weeks I, into this, and I'm underwhelmed, man. I'm underwhelmed. It's reminiscent of last year to me a little bit. And we thought that maybe the gap would be closing. Some of this is is the way that teams are attacking them or not or not attacking. Mm-hmm. Even when they feel like there was a lot I was trying to gauge, like Western Kentucky just got the ball out fast. Not Western Kentucky, I'm sorry, Youngstown State got the ball out fast every time. Western Kentucky's gonna do the same thing again on Saturday. I think that that is a factor here. Um, but there was a play in the third quarter, JT Tumaloau and Jack Sawyer both end up in the backfield and the quarterback still gets the ball off. And JT had gotten pushed out wide by Mm -hmm. his, his, by the left tackle. And Mm -hmm. Sawyer was unblocked as coming off the right, the the other side, Yeah, but it was play action and he froze on the play action. And by the time he recovered to come after the quarterback, he was able to get the ball off. And that was so it, it's like there are times like that where I, I I'm not sure if I think that that's a play that if they were next level, somebody would be getting to him. And that's an indication of just that there's a ceiling that maybe is there and this is what it's going to be. Or is it just that that was a, a play design that effectively when you should have gotten beaten, uh, West uh, at Youngstown State find a way to get that ball off when because of the way that play was designed and they executed it well. Um, but I think that it's it's legitimate at this point that it, it's becoming a Zach Harrison argument, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's becoming a thing where it's like, we're not saying these guys aren't good football players, but some of what you project about this defense and about this team overall is something special coming off the edge. And there haven't been a lot of opportunities for special to show up, but it hasn't shown up at all. So now you're, you're you're coming into your third game, like so. What's where we get some special happening? So, I mean, we talk the dayism, man. The dayism. So it's either personnel, scheme, or coaching. And the scheme's fixed. He fixed it when they paid a guy two million dollars. And I thought the scheme's doing what it's supposed to do in year two. It was personnel with the corners a year ago. They weren't healthy and they weren't playing well. Well, the personnel's better and the cornerbacks are playing better. So they're not the issue. When it was a Zach Harrison issue, I'm glad you brought that name up. It was an isolated thing of, hey, how come this five-star edge rusher is not like these other five-star edge rushers? But also you add in the context of he's coming from a public school. He's still having to learn how to play football and all that stuff. So, okay, maybe this is a one-off. JT Tui Maloa was the 
comes from a family of coaches. He's from Washington. He was top five player in his class. Jack Sawyer, I understand, is from Ohio, but Pickerington North is a pretty good football school, and he committed to Ohio State so early that he spent his summers learning from the Larry Johnson School of Pass Rushing. So it's not the same scenario as what you – they are a lot closer to what – I don't think they're fully Nick Bosa and Chase Young because Chase Young went to a prominent national program and in the DMV area, and Nick and Joey Bosa are the son of – and nephews of NFL players, so it's in there from Florida. It's not fully there, but it leans more that way than it does the Zach Harrison way when it comes to what their background as football players are. When it was Zach Harrison issue, it's isolated. So now we're on two more five stars, and we're bringing up that name again. Is it a coaching thing? Is it? Can, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe I. Maybe we get through Western Kentucky and Notre Dame, and I'll shut up because Zach, Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa are terrorizing quarterbacks, and it's like, okay, well, they just played two teams where the scheme didn't necessarily allow for defensive ends to do what they wanted to do in those games. But so far, we're seeing the same thing we saw from the last five star. So if it's not – at that point, it's not personnel and it's not schemes. So you've got to look at the guy in charge. Is that fair for me to say? It may eventually be fair to say. <laughs> I, 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 again, I think that <laughs> you've, got, you've had two, two weeks here where teams have not they, – they've run an offense that was very sack-averse, obviously. Yeah. Um, Indiana didn't really throw the ball at all. The, when, West, when Youngstown State did throw the ball, I thought they were getting it out quick so it's not like if, if that's the production we're waiting on um the disruptiveness that we're waiting on it, this just hasn't been the best proving ground for that so there is a part of me that's thinking this could all be setting up for everybody to be writing after the notre dame game oh the defensive ends really you know prove yeah. themselves in this matchup because th- the notre dame game is a matchup that plays into this like sam hartman is not known as a guy with a quick release in fact, I think he's almost considered the opposite. That was almost a knock on him that despite mm-hmm. all these passing yards and, and touchdowns that he's put up over his career at Wake Forest and now at Notre Dame, that he's not considered a top-end NFL talent because of things like that, that his his processing is a little bit slower. He doesn't get the ball out of his hands quick. So it's setting up for Ohio State's guys to have their shots maybe in that week. And... Mm-hmm. I don't think in a lot of weeks that defensive end play is necessarily going to, it wasn't going to decide these first two games. It wasn't, it probably isn't going to decide next week's game because I think Western Kentucky historically, even for the amount of times it throws the ball does not give up a lot of sacks. And I'm writing about that a little bit more this week, just about what their offense is. And especially from a secondary standpoint, how mm-hmm. that's going to put a lot of pressure on these corners to, to, to have to maybe get to prove their arrival against Western Kentucky. So, or not arrival, revival, uh, to, sh- to prove that it's it's real in the, in this third game. So I'm not yet super concerned about it, but I do note that it just has looked a little ordinary. And you thought you would maybe see something more scary. And I don't remember, it, 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 I should have looked this up, like, because in 2019, when Chase Young had that season, and we're not comparing these guys to Chase Young, but we are comparing the feel of of a, a true pass rush threat, which Ohio State hasn't really had since Chase Young. I'm trying to remember uh, in those in the big games of that season, he really showed up. Like those were the games where he would have two, three, four, however many sacks. Wisconsin, Michigan State. It felt like those were like he'd have huge games in those games. I don't remember like what he did against Miami of Ohio or Cincinnati or 
Indiana, like games that were a little bit, you know what I mean? Like that, that where he did like the opportunity for him to be a monster may not have been there quite as much. So this happened last year with this team where there was a lot being written about why their sack numbers were down and their sack numbers were down almost in proportion, but not even actually quite in proportion to how much the pass attempts against them had gone down. Like there has to be a pass attempt in order for there to be a sack. So I'm waiting for these next two weeks because there's going to be a lot of pass attempts from Western Kentucky and the ones that they get against Notre Dame will be even more, what do I want to say, fodder for sacks potentially. I don't think it's unfair to compare Chase Young when it comes to teams like the, this type of opponent. And I agree with the Notre Dame thing because it's not just a Sam Hartman thing. They've got Joe Alt to tackle who's a clear first rounder. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's on both ways. But Chase Young had from basically every game <laughs> from the moment I started covering this team, from the Maryland game in 2018 through the Penn State game, which was when he had the three sacks and that was the last time he had a sack as a Buckeye. That's 13 straight games where he had at least a half a sack. And that includes games against Florida Atlantic where he had one and a half sacks, Cincinnati one and a half sacks, Indiana two sacks, Miami, Ohio, he had two sacks. Nebraska, he had a sack. Michigan State, half sack. Northwestern, sack. And then the Wisconsin and Penn State games, we had seven combined sacks. So even in bad game in games where it's like, Chase, you're probably only going to play like 25 snaps. Okay, cool. I'm just going to have my 65 snap game total in 25 snaps because I'm so much better. So we don't need to always use Chase Young, Joey Bosa, and Nick Bosa when we're talking about ceiling. But I think you should be talking about floor. And Chase Young's floor is against Miami of Ohio. When you're going to win the game 76 to five, you still have two sacks. You still dominate because you're Chase Young and Western Kentucky. They're going to get the ball out fast. So maybe we see Ohio State run a little bit more press man or just press coverage in general because they didn't do that a lot. The last two weeks, they were playing a lot of off coverage. But that's also, I mean, that's based off of opponent. You're not playing the most high-potent passing team. So maybe we see a little bit more of that. So maybe that allows for them to get that extra half a second they need. But it's not just about the sacks. The run fits weren't great either. And I think that's where my bigger issue is with them. And I just want to see better play from the defensive line in general. Because right now it feels like Mike Hall brings the energy, and he's been Mike Hall. Caden Curry, who played 16 snaps against Youngstown State in this small sample size He's bringing the energy and he's bringing pressure and he's getting through stuff and making plays and everybody else is just kind of like meh right now. And so that's why I I think I'm a little harder on things, but also, as I said on the Bulls game pod, that's what I'm going to spend next Saturday doing is just watching everything the defensive line does, because I want to see promise that when we do get to the Notre Dame games and the Wisconsin games and the Penn State games, that ceiling of, oh, this dude wrecked the game is possible for some of these guys, because Larry Johnson has recruited the room well, whether you're talking JT, Jack, Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, uh, Ty, Ty Hamilton has turned out to be a really good player. Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson. These are Taiwan Malone, who hasn't played as much as I thought he maybe played the way they talked about him. Hero Canoe yeah. had a sack. That's a yeah. quality group right there. And I should not feel as underwhelmed about a group that's clearly got the most recruiting talent as I do right now. I, I will say, I think the defensive tackle group has been pretty solid early on. I've been mm-hmm. pretty impressed with them. I think they've been solid, not just, you know, Hall getting that sack. I just feel like even guys like Jade McKenzie have, have rotated through and are, are being really solid. And I think I am also surprised that, that Malone hasn't played 
more than he has. Like it was only seven snaps against Youngstown State. And it was definitely, I thought, a situation where he was discussed more. But Larry Johnson also had had talked him up as a, a guy who could really help in the pass rush. And mm-hmm. so, again, that may just be some of this could be matchup oriented that they thought other guys were better suited for the kind of offenses that they were going against. Maybe we maybe he has a bigger role against somebody like Western Kentucky. So I think the tackles have been pretty strong and they are getting pass rush with Eichenberg, like very consistently, like yes. they use him. They list him a lot against Youngstown State. And it's something he's done well here. These in, back into last year as well. So they have that option too. I just, I'm with you that it will be, we've all banked on there being more from this defensive end group as part of why we think this team could be in the national championship picture. And I think if we find out that that isn't the case, which I don't think we know for sure yet, but if it's discovered to not be the case as we get farther into the season, then I think that reduces the ceiling on what this team can accomplish as much as some of the things we've talked about on offense. So quick news things before we get out of here. AP poll dropped on Sunday. Nathan, where are they? And if you were voting still, you don't have to worry about that anymore, which has been a huge burden off your back. Where would you have put <laughs> Ohio State? I don't want, I don't want to use the term burden. There's people out there who like shovel poop for a living. And I'm I, I, voting in the AP poll is, is, I think, better than that. Ohio State is sixth. So they fell another spot. And it was mm-hmm. a combination of two things. Texas jumped all the way from 11 to four after beating Alabama, who used to be number three and is now number 10. So for the second week in a row, a team that beats another highly ranked team jumps ahead of Ohio State, which is what's supposed to happen. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's why you're supposed to throw it all out and revote every week based on the resume these teams have put together. And if I were voting this week, oh, the other thing that happened was they actually flipped with, with USC. They were about 50 points ahead of USC in the vote points last week, and now they're four points behind. and. So that, I think, is some of USC really putting it to some people. They beat Nevada 66 to 14. So they're rolling up some scores, whereas Ohio State has had more to, from a score standpoint, lackluster wins. So I think that's where some of that support has gone. Um, they're, now Ohio State is just one spot ahead of Penn State. So they're like 6-7 right now. And 6 is as low as Ohio State's been since they were number 7 at the end of the 2021 season. So Again, AP poll doesn't really matter. But if I were voting, I would maybe, boy, again, you're voting on resume. I certainly, I will say this, those, I would definitely have those teams that are one through four Mm -hmm. in my top four. I would probably have either Florida State or Texas number one, just based on the fact that they have the best two wins so far. Probably would vote Texas, man, Texas got two number one votes and they went on the road and beat Alabama. If you were somebody who was voting Alabama as high as, I mean, they were number four last week, number three last week, whatever they were, then don't you have to then, how do you not put Texas number one? I don't understand that. If you were voting Georgia number one or whatever, and then Texas goes on a road and beats a team that you had number three, how do you not vote Texas number one? I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, but you probably have Texas one, Florida State two for this week, and then Georgia, Michigan after that. And then it starts to to even out for me a little bit because I just don't know that anybody – I know that Ohio State's wins aren't aesthetically pleasing, but other teams aren't really beating better teams. You know what I mean? Like they aren't – it's not like the resumes mm-hmm. are, are significantly better at that point, and that's where you can start to you know make projections and, and go on accumulated talent and all that stuff. Um, I would probably still have them ahead of Penn State 
and Notre Dame and Washington, the teams that are right behind them. I think I would probably have them. I would either have them fifth or sixth. I I I, I got to say, I, I haven't, because I'm not doing the poll this year, I haven't like examined what USC has done this year. I just know that they're 3-0. and So it would probably be either them or Ohio State would be my number five. I think that if I had a vote, I think the only flip I would do, I'd probably flip them in USC. Even if Ohio State had handled Indiana and Youngstown State the way they probably should have, at least the way we thought they would have, I still would have had them just fifth because I think their schedule and USC's schedule is pretty comparable. They both have played non-Power 5, non-conference teams and a conference team. While like Texas and Florida State, I mean, Texas went on a road and and won a top five game. And Florida State won a top five game on a neutral side the week before that. So that I'm with you. They should clearly be number one and number two. I think the Georgia thing is just they're the two-time reigning national champions who look yeah, like yeah. nothing's fallen off. So I get why yeah. people are voting them one. But Michigan, Ohio State, and USC, if all those teams just did what they were supposed to do against the teams they have played so far, I think I would have Florida State and Texas ahead of them still because it's like – the level of talent that they've played in comparison to Texas and you and Ellis in Florida state are just vastly different. Yeah. If, if I were voting, I think I would, again, this is kind of off the cuff, but it would probably be Texas, Florida state, Georgia, Michigan, I think would be my yeah. top four. USC has beaten, they beat San Jose state 56 to 28. They beat Nevada 66 to 14 and they beat Stanford actually. who so they just played this past week, 56 mm-hmm. to 10. So I think that was maybe the thing that swayed some voters was like, yeah. Oh, you just beat Youngstown state 35 to seven. And they just beat Stanford 56 to 10. And I'm not saying yeah. Stanford is great, but Stanford's at least a power five program. Mm-hmm. So I might vote USC ahead of Ohio State under that criteria, too, with the caveat that Ohio State's going to have its chance. You know, they can prove something against Western Kentucky and then they could really enhance them their their chance, their their resume against Notre Dame in two weeks. I'm not going to ask you, does Ohio State still look like a college football playoff caliber team this week? Because. It's just they didn't play a team where we can actually gauge. Like, sure, they did. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. So we'll save that for that question for next week when they're at least playing a FBS opponent. So that will wrap up. I'll name this pod later Monday pod. I kind of like the what it means, though. I, I, I'm, I'm really coming around on that. And one of our texters liked it, too. So sign up if you want to give us some name ideas, man. 614-350-3315. We'll be back. On Tuesday with Andrew talking recruiting, he went out to see Dorian Brew, who's a five-star corner in the 2025 class, who has some Ohio State tries, so we'll be talking about that plus some other stuff. And then Tuesday afternoon, we'll be back at the Woody talking with Ryan Day as he prepares for second home game of the season, third game overall against Western Kentucky. So sign up for the text, man. All that stuff goes to your phone first before anywhere else. So for Nathan Baird, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.